Thank you for tuning in to this installment of the Movie Geeks United Anniversary Series. On this episode, we celebrate the 35th anniversary of the hit comedy, Ghostbusters. The guest is actor William Atherton, who memorably portrayed the intrusive EPA agent, Walter Peck. This interview was conducted in 2009 by Aaron Diaz and our sibling podcast, Back by Midnight. Ghosts. Hello, Ghostbusters. They're real. You do? You have? They're here. Ghostbusters. Hey, anybody see a ghost? They catch the ghost that won't stay dead. They're armed. They're dangerous. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. All right, that's bad. Okay. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. They're professionals. Oh, I'm the chairman of the largest paranormal removal company in America. You see it? They're all that stands between you and the end of the world. The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. Real wrath of God type stuff. Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse of Spook Central. Do you want this body? Is this a trick question? Our next interview is a pre-recorded interview I did just a couple of days ago with actor William Atherton, who played the great villain EPA Inspector Walter Peck, a.k.a. Dickless, in uh, Ghostbusters, which was probably the most iconic summer film of 1984. And he, uh, I talked to him last week about that film and how that... That appearance as that villain kind of spawned a whole mini mini cottage industry for him playing heavies in big summer comedies and action films, including Real Genius and Die Hard 1 and 2. But at first, we, be, we began at the beginning. And, but here's my interview with William Atherton. Uh, what first drew you to acting? Um, oh, my gosh. I don't know. I think it was the only thing that I felt I could do competently at the time. It was, uh, you know, uh, I uh, I just felt, okay, well, I might be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And being a neurosurgeon and everything else seemed to be kind of out. So I I just decided that's what it was. I grew up on a farm, and we had one of the first televisions, and I turned on the television, and that world seemed to be a lot more interesting than the one outside the window. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, you actually went to, the, you studied at the uh, Pasadena Playhouse? Well, I went to uh I I I did kind of. I mean, I I did a mm-hmm. I did a couple of small shows there before I went to college. Mm-hmm. I went to Carnegie Mellon. And, oh, wow. uh, but uh there was a there was a uh a wonderful character actor named Victor Jory who was in a lot of pictures. He was in Gone right. with the Wind even. And he had seen me in a high school play and uh he said uh to his son John Jory who was running Long Wharf at the time, "Why don't you see this kid?" and I uh, did a couple of shows for him when I was in high school, and then um, bef- he, uh, Victor got me this gig in Pasadena, kind of part school, part playing, for a couple of months before I went to college, and so that that was my uh, Pasadena Playhouse sojourn there. Right. And uh, well, I got to ask about your first major role casting, because I guess it's kind of interesting. I guess uh, both you and People don't know, may not know. You, you're in the Sugarland Express, uh, right. Spielberg's first truly major feature film before Jaws, even. Yeah. And uh, so this is even before Spielberg is Spielberg. And, and uh, so, what was that process like? And what was what was Spielberg like as a filmmaker uh, at that young of, uh, of an age? Well, he was. Um, I never met anybody who loved the movies more than he did. He had enormous energy. He had enormous good feeling about doing movies. And I met him in New York, and I was on the stage in New York. And um, 
they brought me out to California, and I met Goldie, and then a couple of months later, we, we did the movie. It was all pretty much according to Hoyle. It was, um, uh, it, it was, they were interested in me. They brought me out. It all seemed to work out well. We did the movie, and then, you know, I went back to New York, and I went back to the stage, and it was, uh, it was a lovely time. I mean, he was, uh, he was, in, in in terms of his acumen and his love for the movies, I, since then I've never met anybody like him. I mean, it was just, it was a lovely time. It was uh, it was all we shot it all in Texas, and uh, so we were out of kind of like the glitzy L.A. I had no I had known um, Mike Michael Sachs. Uh, Michael Sachs had gone to Harvard, and uh, I had known him in New York, mm-hmm. and uh, I uh, had known him when he uh, did Slaughterhouse Five. Uh, a year before that, and uh, so you know, we were all in kind of the same acting pool in New York at the time. So I'd known him, uh, and then I met Goldie, and then you know, it was like Vilmos Sigmund, one of the greatest cinematographers of all time, and it was this lovely synchronicity of of people and events, and um, that's what happened essentially. And another. Uh, well, the thing about Sugarland, which kind of put Steve over the top, was that Pauline Kael devoted like four pages to it in the New Yorker when it came out, and it was right. that was kind of unprecedented. Right, and, and then later on, in, in a couple, of, a few years later, in, in the, you did another great film, uh, one of my favorites, uh, the very polarizing Day of the Locust. Yes, and that uh, was that's a very polarizing movie. Yeah, and uh, what was that? And were you aware? How aware were you of the source material before you did the film? And and what was that experience like? Well, um, Nathaniel West, I was aware of the Miss Lonely Hearts uh, and um, and Cool Million. Uh, I wasn't aware of Locust so much. I was um, uh, just as a short story, I, and I read up on him, and he, he was Kaufman's brother-in-law, and he died young, and so he and his wife, who his wife was the basis of my sister Eileen, the Kaufman mm-hmm. comedy, and. Um, and they died young in a car accident, and he'd always been kind of in this pantheon of uh, of kind of unacknowledged writers, Hollywood writers at the time. And so I looked into him. His father was a big builder in New York. His father built a lot of the uh, apartment buildings on Central Park West. So I was I went around trying to find if anybody knew him, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Nobody really had. Everybody had kind of moved on, and he was very—he didn't spend that much time in New York. Uh, and uh, so um, that was, you know, another kind of—you know—you just get hit by the right bus. Right. Were you prepared for when the movie came out that it was going to be so polarizing, or did you kind of suspect that when you when you all were making that? Well, I, I guess you do. I mean, I. Um, Again, at the time, you know, I was doing a lot in New York, and that's where I lived, and that's where, you know, uh, my vanity lay, being in the in the theater more than anything else. And and it was um, it kind of it kind of got polarizing. It was it was a big picture at the time. It was the most expensive picture Paramount had ever made on the lot by the time uh, at that time, and it was um, and you know it it had it had admirers and detractors and still does and still <laughs> kind of goes on you know and um, one and of those Schles- movies and Schlesinger as a, as a director I mean this is his peak this is you know after Midnight Cowboy and Sunday Bloody Sunday well he thought it would be like uh, Greed um, he, he thought that the picture Greed which wasn't really valued at the time he thought that that uh, Day of the Locust would be his greed. It was his. It was the picture that he felt was his best, and that wouldn't be acknowledged for some time. Hmm. I remember he would talk about that that way. Right. I wanted to ask about one more film uh, from that era, and that's um, Looking for Mr. Goodbar, um, uh-huh. which is a film I like. Uh, I admire quite a bit. Um, and I was wondering what what that one was like. Also, I guess <laughs> even more so, more a more polarizing film and also from a polarizing book and very adventurous well the book was the book was um the the book was kind of revelatory of the time the book was about the singles bar scene and and that scene was kind of waning a bit before the book came out the singles bar scene was an early 70s scene in new york and uh where you had all these uh, really, you know, beautiful-looking bars like Maxwell's Plum and all of that, and um, people go to hook up there. This is, you know, 
free cell phone and Twitter. And <laughs> you know, this is what people did. And um, and it was kind of like an expose of that. And it was a very specifically New York story. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Brooks and Freddie Fields wanted to make it more general in terms of what it said about society at the time. And that's mm-hmm. why they did it in California. Right. And, um, and uh, well, I guess you can. So that that was, I think, '77, and then you did a bunch of uh, other films and TV. But then, uh, I guess some would say, kind of a, another a new phase of, of the kind of roles you got begins in '84 with uh, with Ghostbusters. Yeah. And uh, I'm, so, how did you uh, get that uh, that role? How did that role come to you? Well, I had known. Uh, well. I went and I and I met with him out here. I met. With, I was doing something out here. I, I just finished Kane Mutiny in New York, I think, or something, and I was out here uh, doing. Um, uh, I don't remember exactly what. And um, uh, and I met them all, and I uh, and and they asked me to do it. I mean, I um, I had known Gilda Radner, and I had known uh, I had met them. In the uh, several years before, because Gilda and I had done George Abbott's Broadway together, right, and um, so I kind of knew what that world was like and um, what they were like, and uh, I think they asked me to do it because you know I sim- I said, look, you know, guys, I can't um, I can't compete being funny with you. I mean, you're the iconic comics of our time. You know, what am I going to be doing there? So I. I, uh, with Theoni Aldrich, who was a costume designer, and with Ivan, we just kind of came to the idea that, um, you know, I'd be like a, like a, a, a male Margaret Dumont. I just didn't know why it was funny, and I was going to play it like Antigone, and uh, to the death, and that that would give them something to bounce off of, and uh, me to bounce off of them, and that, you know, that took the onus off of me being, you know, deliberately funny, which is stupid, and... Uh, and uh, that's how that happened. The Ghostbusters are here, Mr. Mayor. Ghostbusters. Okay, the Ghostbusters. Hey, where's this Peck? Hey, I am Walter Peck, sir, and I'm prepared to make a full report. These men are consummate snowball artists. They use sense and nerve gases to induce hallucinations. People think they're seeing ghosts. And they call these bozos who conveniently show up to deal with the problem with a fake electronic light show. Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by dicklets here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Well, that's what I heard. City Hall. Now, what am I going to do here, John? What is this? All I know is that was no light show we saw this morning. I've seen every form of combustion known to man. But this beats the hell out of me. The walls in the 53rd precinct were bleeding. How do you explain that? Good afternoon, gentlemen. Oh, your eminence. How are you, Lenny? You're looking good, Mike. We're in a real fix here. What do you think I should do? Lenny, officially, the church will not take any position on the religious implications of these uh, phenomena. Mm. Personally, Lenny, I think it's a sign from God. But don't quote me on that. No, I think that's a smart move, Mike. Well, I'm not going to call a press conference and tell everyone to start praying. Oh. I'm uh, Winston Zettimore, Yana. I've only been with the company for a couple of weeks. But i got to tell you, these things are real. Since I joined these men, I have seen shit that'll turn you white. Well, you can believe, Mr. Pecker. My name is Peck. Or you could accept the fact that this city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness. Earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Enough. I get the point. And did you know at the time, because you only have, I guess, three scenes in the film, and plus your the big, uh, your big kind of exit in the film, but you only have three real scenes in the film, but did, was it known at the time that, you know, you were going to be kind of, not only the villain of the piece, but that just those three scenes, people were, you know, the audience was going to despise you, was that? <laughs> well, I mean, I, 
I, get, I don't know. I mean, uh, as I look back on it now, maybe. I mean, the idea was that I wanted them to to kind of dislike me, so that's the cho- those are the choices that I made. I, I didn't have any, you know, I, I didn't have any great feeling to be the lovable bad guy. I didn't really care. I just wanted to be the bad guy that would work for the piece, that, you know, uh, and that's how that character would go, and that's what I did. You know, I, it, it's funny. You know, you, you do things, and you get up, and you go to work, and then they last forever, or they don't, right. particularly in this business, and you never really know, and... Uh, so I didn't. I, I wasn't really thinking about it for the ages. I was thinking about it for that those couple of months. And the, your main antagonist, I guess, is Bill Murray. Oh yeah. And so were those scenes sticking to the script, or was there room? Well, for... some of it was. Some of it wasn't. You know, some of it was. Uh, it was all kind of thrown out there. You know, Bill is so great that you know he, you. <laughs> You, you just kind of go with what he throws out there. And um, uh, so I think I think we strayed a couple of times. I don't remember specifically so much. But that was the atmosphere of it. And, and I uh, guess Dan Aykroyd, I guess, oddly enough, Dan Aykroyd probably has the line of the whole movie uh, referring you to Dick as Dickless. Right, yeah. And uh, that's, you know, we, we were we were all in the tank. They used what I gave them, and I, you know, tried to give them my best, and and then it morphed. How <laughs> can I say? You know, I I understand the, uh, your big your big final scene where you get uh, all the uh, quote unquote marshmallow dumped on you. I understand you you, you almost got injured. Is it, is it well, no, I well I didn't. All, I just it. it you know, it's funny when you tell a story and all of a sudden it comes back at you, elaborated 800 times, and you, you find that you've annoyed people. You didn't mean to annoy people. No, it was not that it, that I was almost injured. It was like uh, there were 150 pounds of shaving cream, and they were going to fall on me. And I went, well, you know, I remember in the seventh grade that 150 pounds of feathers and 150 pounds of lead is kind of like the same thing. So can we just kind of make sure that, you know, uh, I'm not going to be splayed out and uh, so they did a couple of tests which showed that I might have verged on uh, splayed out or, you know, splayed out adjacent. So we made less shaving cream and we kind of went on. So it's a little daunting in a movie when you say, gee, you know, I might get hurt with that because then you have everybody standing around going, oh, God, the guy, right. you know, the wimpy sissy actor doesn't want to do it. You know, right. But, uh, you know, it, it worked out all right. And um, with when you saw the film, uh, did you know that it was going to be something? You know, one thing is when you're making it and when you read it, and the other thing is when you finally see it. Did you know that it was going to be the the success that it was? Yeah, when I saw it, I did. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And so, what was? Well, when I made it, I knew it was going to be a success. Mm-hmm. You, you, I knew it was going to do well. You, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily think it's going to be, you know, a herd of buffalo, but. Right. Um, uh, I thought it was going to do well, and then I saw that it was going to be a herd of buffalo. Mm-hmm. This one role kind of uh, carried you for a while in a type of role that you would do in films. Uh, I guess the following year is is real genius. And did you get real genius because of, of the type? Yes, of movie you did. Okay. Yeah, I th- uh, I think so. And then the diehards, and then Biodome, and then lots of other things since then, even up to the series I just did. Right. Well, and so, and what, what do you, how do you, do you, do you kind of, because some actors, they don't, you know, they like to do different things, but the fact that you also do, you know, theater work and other kinds of work, do you not mind kind of also having this kind of go-to? Well, I mean, it's the, it seems at times it's the high, it's the higher profile of it. It isn't the only thing that I do, but those are the movies that are signature, and um, because the movie's a signature, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're only as good as your movie. And uh, those those movies were enormous movies. I've done other movies with different roles that have, that have, that have right. done that have done fine, but they've just been eclipsed by the size of those movies, as most everything would be. Mm-hmm. And, it's uh, like you know uh, when when Steve did Steven Spielberg did Jaws. Uh, there was a thing that um, Sugarland wasn't terribly successful. Well. Sugarland wasn't Jaws by any means, mm-hmm. but it was not that unsuccessful. But anything in relation to Jaws would have been seen that way. Right. And and is it fun though to to play these these? Oh, I've always had a wonderful time doing that. I always had a big because you know people, 
Yeah, I have no vanity about it. I I I I I I like I like playing either you know evil unsureness or unattractiveness. I don't have any vanity about it at all. I don't mind it. I think it's much more fun, and it's much more liberating. And you don't have to. You know, there's there's a lot of pretense you know <laughs> in any business, and I kind of find that it's it's a great atmosphere where you don't have to have a certain kind of personality pretense right. in terms of what you're doing. I really don't mind. I mean, there's certain things obviously that I'm not going to. I'm, I'm kind of careful about how I do it. I like to I like to play smart characters, not stupid ones, and I like right. people who are who are trying to you know craft their own you know defensive sad worlds in one way or the other i think that's kind of fun um uh, but uh you know it, it that's i've always had fun doing that so i i don't really care and um i'm rather glad as a matter of fact you know, it's it's kind of you know it it gave me what i got right and from what i understand you're uh I mean, the role is so popular in, in Ghostbusters. You're in the uh, the video game, is that correct? Yeah, we did the game last year, and um, I guess it's gonna do well. And um, that was that was interesting doing a game. I'd never done a game. Yeah. And what what muscles do do you use as an actor for a video game that uh, that either you didn't know those are the muscles that you use, or maybe there were things you you hadn't done in a while. Well, I didn't have any muscles. Because I never played video games, so sure. I didn't. I didn't really have them. I had to kind of import muscles, but it, sure. it's like animation. Mm -hmm. I think more than anything else, and uh, you're just by yourself when you play it. And there's a lot of ooh ah ah ah, you know. There's a lot of that stuff to it. So there were a couple of days of a lot of fun lines, and a couple of days of just ooh ah ooh, kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Well, then that must be something uh, you might. Uh, I guess uh, that must be kind of fun that you're not only you immortalized in movies, but now you'll be. You know, people can actually play you or play with you in a video game for. for yeah, it's odd. It's very odd. You know, uh, uh, I just, uh, you know, I when I was a kid and looked at the first little 19-inch Sylvania black and white television, little did yeah. I know that people would have machines where you could. Um, you know, where you you could actually put Gene Autry on the horse, you know. Right. <laughs> it's the whole world. And, well, and I'll ask this as a, the last question. And what, you know, now it is 25 years, and this is we're doing this as part of looking back at the summer of 84. What, what do you remember from that summer when this movie came out? And what do you remember thinking then? And what do you think of it now, of that experience, of that summer in particular? And your small contribution to it, your contribution to that to that phenomenon. Well, I mean, gee, um, don't want to put too much I, of a burden on you. But. It's, well, it's it's essential. I mean, '84 was in the, the middle of the Reagan years. This right. was a Ghostbusters was a very good-natured comedy, and it was very, um, it, it it was kind of uplifting in its way and fun and um, and uh, and good spirited like i said and it was um and it was very i think emblematic of of that it was people were rather hopeful and it was um uh the economy was bad i remember that and but it was it, there was there was something kind of graceful about uh ghostbusters in terms of being a big comedy and Mm -hmm. And that was kind of unique, and also it was huge as a comedy, huge scientifically to put on the screen. I mean, all that animation and everything, that was very new. Nobody's ever done that kind of thing. Right. And it was, um, so it was kind of like a step just in looking at how movies were made, and then it was, um, um, metaphysically, it was just kind of a, a lovely, you know, smiling movie. There wasn't anything mean about it. There wasn't anything... You know, terribly narrowly violent about it, and right. uh, so you know, there was Sigourney up there looking great, and and uh, that's how that's how I remember it. As I look back on it now, I remember it as as rather, uh, you know, a lovely setting and a lovely time. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Mr. Atherton, I want to thank you for coming on to talk about this, and 
if we are if we're still on the air next year for summer of eighty five, I guess you'll be back to talk about uh, real genius. Okay. Well good luck to you all. All right. Well thank you so much, sir. Oh my pleasure. Bye bye. That's it for this episode of the Movie Geeks United Anniversary Series. For more titles in this series, visit our website at moviegeeksunited.net.